Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Aaron Marshall, who's a guitarist and composer out of Toronto, Canada. He's the mastermind behind the progressive metal band Intervals. He's blended traditional and modern rock and metal with jazz fusion in order to create a really unique take on the progressive instrumental genre. I present you Aaron Marshall. Well, Aaron Marshall, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thanks, dude. Nice to meet you. You as well. I'm a, I'm a fan. Well, thanks. I've told this story before. I remember when I was hanging out with Jeff Loomis once at the studio years and years ago. I forget why. He was working on something, and we were just talking. And he, I think he was like 42 years old at the time. And he said that he was getting guitar lessons. I was like, what? And it took me like a second to like register that Jeff Loomis was telling me that he's taking guitar lessons, but it was like, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, uh, shout out Jeff. What a legend. Well, that's amazing though. I think that the reason he's a legend and it got that good is because he never thinks he's good enough. I think it go it goes together. Guys are that way, man. Yeah, you're not you're not gonna keep trying if you don't like if you think you're already awesome, you're not gonna keep pushing i think yeah i think humans require incentive i think that if the game is if the rules are laid out the end goal is there then we don't you know we don't try like i'll give you an example like my girl is in her last year of university and with the way everything changed this year exams and everything moved to online and it's like somewhere in the back of your head you know you can google an answer so it's like it takes away from the drive to study. Not that you know, not that it impacts. She's she's awesome, but it's like you just kind of know that. You just kind of know that at any moment you could, you know. So I think it's the same. It's like if you knew you didn't have to try, then you know. But then it's not exciting. So what the hell? I also think that fear is a good motivator. Like the fear of sucking, the fear of something <laughs> oh, failing. Yeah. yeah, I was watching an interview with Kevin Bacon actually a few days ago for some reason. Yeah, I haven't. There's a, yeah, wow. Dude, I think Kevin Bacon has like the most credits. I think, I believe that that's his thing is like he has the, like the most credits of anyone in history. So you don't need to hear his name anymore. He just pieced out. He hasn't pieced out though. That's the thing. He's been oh, working really? solidly. Yeah. So, okay. So this basically what he was saying was years ago, he decided to stop taking leading roles and just do supporting roles because he felt insecure and scared about the future. And, it didn't matter how successful he was. Like he was already a multimillionaire movie star, but he still felt like it could all fall apart at any point in time. So he made a conscious decision to do something that he knew was secure work, which is to constantly do uh, supporting roles. And that's what he's been doing. He's not, he never stopped working, which is why he has like the most credits out of anybody in movie history. But I just, I think it's interesting that that feeling of, it could all go away. It's not good enough. It's not like uh, proportional to your level of success. It's like, I think you either are built that way to keep striving or you're not. Mm -hmm. It's important, honestly. And we're at, these are uncertain times right now too. So I think that's a factor for a lot of individuals that might be a driving sort of aspect of, you know, what we're all trying to figure out how to do the thing we do right now. You know, I mean, most of it's, most of it's on track. I mean, content is just, is more than king these days, you know, but content's only like part of the equation, you know, I'm, I, 
like as an individual who's invested himself in building a, a sustainable touring career for almost the last decade, like that part's a little freaky, but you know, we're, we're going to get it. We'll figure it out. Freaky as in you feel like it might never come back or freaky because you just don't know how this shit's going to play out and don't know when it's going to come back. It's going to come back because art and culture are innately human. It's a reason it's been embedded in history forever. You know, we'll get it. It's going to come back. But to what degree and how bad did the deck get shuffled is the uncertainty sort of part. You know, I just wrapped up a two and a half year touring cycle off like, you know, the most successful record I've had to date took me everywhere except for South America and like Russia and the Ukraine. We literally did everything, you know, and it's like, we're so poised to do what I'm about to do, which is make a record and then hit the road again. But uh, what does the landscape look like when you return? Because the lights weren't on this whole time, so it's different for everybody. So that part is kind of, that's the freaky part. It's just what is it going to look like and when? So I guess in some ways you kind of got to shuffle your own deck for a while. Mm-hmm. Big time. And I've been having these daily conversations with with you know members of my team and peers and my manager about how do we roll a record out? You know, we're pretty... I mean, we take a hybrid approach in most cases, but we're pretty traditional in the sense that we try to snug the release right up to a, you know, major venture like a tour or something like that, or, you know, a North America tour straight a New Europe tour. It's how we always do it. And, um, you know, at what point do we reach that, like, you know, that point of diminishing returns with this, you know, cause we were debating, like the plan was to have a record come out this year. And then it's like, we had to move our touring from the end of the year into the new year. And that feels uncertain as well. Even though our, like our current holds on, on a North America tour towards the end of the first quarter. And even now it's a little freaky. So, um, we had a revelation recently, which is that we just, as you said, need to shuffle our own deck. Right. So it's, it's about adapting and not resisting. Although it took me pretty much all of lockdown to get my head around like, A really good example, we had him on the podcast, but a really good example of a band right now shuffling their own deck really well is Suicide Silence. Mm, I'm not paying attention. Tell me how. They're just uh, embracing as much... You should listen to that episode uh, because okay. Mark, ta- Mark talks about it in a lot of detail, super enthusiastically, but they're basically... They're trying to get ahead of the technology curve. So like, if you're assuming that more and more artists... Kind of like, you know, how the streaming thing has been around for a long time, but only now everybody is starting to pick it up. And so the people who started doing it years ago have this advantage. Kind of like, for instance, URM in uh, online education, we have an advantage over people that are starting now because we've been doing it for five years. So they're starting to do those like tours where they're selling online tickets to one specific town and everything's like geo-targeted and they're like using all this technology and like rented uh like a really really sick ass place to film in and they're doing all this shit and uh they're they're going hard they're basically going as hard as they would go if they were going on a real tour except the they're just diverting that energy towards online and so it's not just we're going to do live stream concerts it's like we're going to do as much as possible to engage with people it's it's a really interesting episode so there's that the other thing that 
you're make made me think of and i don't know this helps but uh, i just talked to brian slagle on the urm podcast but we were talking about the metal blade release schedule and because i wanted to know like did it get fucked up like what's going on what he told me and you know i trust him is that as a matter of fact they're doing fucking great in europe especially physical sales and everything are fucking crushing it and uh they haven't really they haven't taken too much of a hit at all but it's good to hear that from yeah it's reassuring yeah yeah to hear that from him because like if he was to say everything's fucked up nobody's buying anything we had to cancel all our releases you know that might you know that might be good information for you to know uh considering you're planning a rollout but to hear from him that Actually, things are fine. We just have to adjust a little bit. But like, there's certain territories that are still fucking crushing it, and uh, the ground is not falling out from under us. Basically, no, not at all. That's nice to hear that from the label perspective as well. So thanks for for sharing that from the independent artist perspective. I am happy to report that the ground is not shaking. In fact, this year we are probably performing fiscally better than intended since COVID or before COVID. Yeah, since COVID. Yeah. And the crazy thing about Good. that is happy for you. I have thank you. I have not leaned into overtly pushing or promoting any angles in terms of you know, everyone's at home, stream more or um, you know, everyone subscribe to YouTube and da da da. I mean, I went I've we've pretty much shut the lights off because that's what we planned to do anyway pre-COVID was I always take time to recharge, lay off social media, write a record, be a human being, balance my life out again before it gets crazy. That was the that was the intent, but what we noticed at the top of um, you know right as the pandemic and everything kicked off was streaming took a huge boost, and then it kind of came down as certain I think um, you know sectors closed up, and then you have the you know people not listening to music in their car as much. That's going to have a little bit of an impact. So we noticed an ebb and flow, but overall. Spotify is like record numbers for us streaming and just content is being consumed more than especially for like a year we would consider to be a lull while I just shut things off and make a record. We're doing great. All of our other ancillary um, streams like transcriptions, tab books um, that we do with uh, Sheet Happens Publishing and our vinyl, um, you know, we we, we have jam tracks with them as well that accompany some of the bundles with the the tabs and everything. Books went bonkers at the top of lockdown because everybody had time. So we experienced a really healthy boost in, um, you know, in that side of things. And it's overall, it's been totally fine, honestly. I think, you know, being 100% soul owned as an artist in the current climate is just, you know, just being fully independent, I think just poises you to essentially be in control of passive e-commerce in the form of music. And it's been wonderful because I haven't felt like I needed to bother anybody on socials. I haven't been in your face telling you to buy this, do that, help me out here. It's been great. And the good graces of, of the supporters have just been there naturally without having to you know it's been very organic which gives me uh, a lot of hope leading into a new cycle and this is sort of also what impacted our decision to adapt and sort of reframe how we're thinking about things and i don't mind sharing with you guys here um as you know we're gonna i don't know when this goes live but it doesn't really matter we're getting ready to let the cat out of the bag anyhow this record's gonna come out this year not next year which we were thinking about 
But, you know, we decided that, you know, the average person that consumes this type of music may not even get to see a show. You know, the fact that last cycle we were able to play everywhere from Singapore to New Zealand and play for those people for the first time in a lot of those markets, you know, otherwise they may not have ever seen an interval show. So we need to consider them as well. And I don't want to starve the market for music just because we need to try to like, you know, get as close to a, a North American venture as possible. I think that that's counterproductive, especially with the way things are going. I'm definitely going to check out that podcast with Mark uh, talking about how suicide silence is approaching things because it's really interesting. I saw I saw the ads that he was talking about though, like the you know all the shit he talked about. Like I yeah. got, I saw it and I was like, he wasn't kidding. They're actually no, that that's fire. So it's there's a lot more than what I said. It's just sure. it's a long episode. So he talked yeah, about I'm lots excited. of stuff and. They're doing exactly what he said they were going to do. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like when people say a band gets lucky or whatever, it's like no band that gets that successful and stays successful got there by accident. And like in times like these, you see exactly what they're made of. It's like no surprise that that band is going that hard to me. Yeah. It's like, of course they are. Of course they are. Definitely. And I, and I got to say, like, I'm constantly evaluating my my sort of perspective on that. I mean, I've, I like a good live stream show. You know, I think that they're fun. I just watched the homies and animals do it the other day, Animals as Leaders. And it was great, you know. But the thing is, is it's like, you know, when you watch somebody cook something on YouTube, you still can't smell it or taste it. It's you know true. I mean? And that's the one thing we can't replicate is that feeling of being in a room with, with 999 other bodies and that energy, you know, and we can get close and we're going to do what we're going to have to do here. I mean, shit. Since it's not even an option. It's not currently an option. No. And you're I, kind, yeah, it's not. It, it's not an option right now. Exactly. So even though you can't replicate it and I, I don't, you know, if anyone says you can. They're lying. Obviously, you can't. They're lying. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. You can't. But nobody's going to hold it against you. That's the thing. It's because we're all in the same boat. No, we got to do what we got to do right now. And providing an experience for your fans is 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 the most important thing. And I think people are going to appreciate that. I think people are, are, are a lot more forgiving with certain things as well. It's like, yeah, you're going to tune into a live performance. A lot of people in this realm of music know that it might not be aces. Like it might not be the most perfect performance uh, or anything like that. Sometimes, you know, a live mix isn't the most flattering. Hopefully, you know, if you're, you're going to, saddle up and do something like that you better be working with a production company that can do you justice or you got somebody that knows how to pipe out a live mix like that over the uh, over the internet because you know sometimes they're not the best but um i think investing into making sure you can provide that quality experience is is going to go a long way and uh i'm i'm into it um but i'm also into you know maybe holding out just a little bit because I don't think we're that far off in some some places. I don't know about America, but <laughs> it's got you know. And I don't mean to just take a dig like that, but I mean everyone's watching the news. No, there's no dig to take. Just look at what's happening. Yeah, it's just you know. And I'm I'm your neighbor to the north, and you know we share a border, but it's very different here. Dude, it's and, just um, gonna get even crazier here, dude. I know. I'm I'm really I'm really worried for you guys, man. Like, <laughs> I hope I I hope I hope some there's some you know positive catalytic thing. You know, we can all pray for a miracle, but you know perhaps things start to loosen up once we enter you know, the third phase here, we're in what we would consider to be the end of phase two for the reopening in Ontario here. Um, I got my haircut for the first time in five months, 
two weeks ago and I still can't go to the gym though. So you can't eat, can't dine inside. You can't do nothing. We're just taking advantage of the fact that we have the weather right now. We're just lucky for that because we don't usually. So we're just going to, you know, let that ride. But our venues need it. We need even, even some sort of limited capacity experience or something. They got to turn the lights back on. I think maybe given the opportunity to do so, I might focus on the Canadian market. You know, as a Canadian, I've spent more time investing myself in touring opportunities throughout North, you know, throughout the US, Europe, and some other places. Canada, it sometimes takes the back seat, but that's just because it takes like 34 hours to get to the next province to the left. So that makes things a little (laughs) bit challenging. Also currently challenging for me because a lot of my operation is between crew and performing members are... American citizens. So that's challenging for me right now is trying to figure out. America is a 3,000 mile quarantine, basically. Yeah. Though I will say this, man, I really do believe that your fans will appreciate anything you do. And I can back that up. Yep, I can't even consider it right now. I'd have to sub other dudes in to be able to even do it because I'm split down the middle. Like I've got a guy in Houston and a guy in Long Island. What am I doing about that? I think what whatever you can do, people will appreciate. And for just a for instance, this isn't a band, but still same audience uh, with Nail the Mix. Like for anyone that doesn't know, like it's a monthly thing, and we go to the studios where the mixers are at every month. It's we travel there and do the live streams, and that hasn't happened. So, and people are paying us monthly for the subscription. That right there got a little scary, but what we did was we pivoted our content to, and we're still giving people just as much value. We just obviously can't travel for the live stream. So we're doing all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to bore you with it, but the point being that I think that if we had just been like, we can't do live streams, shit's fucked, then we would have lost subscribers. But because we are acknowledging the situation and pivoted and doing what we can do and going really, really hard on what we can do. People are appreciating the shit out of it and it's actually grown. We're not experiencing any loss and yeah, people would love to see the live streams, but they understand that we can't go to Sweden right now. So it's not going to happen. Like there's not, there's nothing we can do about that. Right? Like we can't, one of them is like a Ukrainian mixer and we've got one in Sweden. It's like, it's, just not going to happen so but we're doing a bunch of other things man it's the same audience that you guys have and everybody's being super super cool so i guess what i'm saying is whatever it is that you can do i think people will understand and appreciate absolutely um i feel that there's a level of forgiveness in pretty much all you know sectors right now be it even you know things in your day-to-day life like how retail feels when you go out in limited capacity nature of certain things how does it feel i haven't done that oh snap <laughs> it's um, been months. well we're we're starting to re- return to you know some semblance of normalcy here lockdown in ontario was 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 real dude like i was i was deep in the shit for like 14 weeks or something like just walking around my neighborhood maybe more than that could have been 16 weeks 18 weeks something like that i don't know time well, like what is today even is it Tuesday? I don't know. It's Tuesday is my default answer. So I think it's Sunday, and I only know that because I spoke to someone I always talk to on Saturdays yesterday. Oh, I see. Okay, <laughs> that's so, yeah, my, I the mean, only way you I know, know. Here, it's like 
you know, things are starting to wake back up, but everything is in this just strange limited capacity. But um, I'm happy to report, though, that you'd be ostracized to not wear a mask here. So everybody, when you leave the house, man, everybody's got one on. You know, you get the odd guy here and there. But really, at the end of the day, I'm going to go ahead and say like 95% of people are doing it, been doing it. So, if I mean, obviously, that feels really strange and it's tough to you know, to communicate properly with people in like a retail environment or something like that. But things are starting to feel a little bit more normal. But like, I guess this just loops back into everybody's got some level of forgiveness right now because nothing is normal. Everything. I think people are just happy to be able to do things, take steps in that direction. So as far as the music goes, I mean, I'd love to knock out a live performance or some sort of content like that. But with the, you know, my hands are tied with the fact that I've, um, you know, always tried to pair with the, an individual that's best for the job and not necessarily like who's available to me geographically. So we've got, you know, we've got Travis in Houston. We got Jacob in Long Island. You know, Nathan's about 40 minutes outside of the city here in Toronto with me. But so we're, we're 50 50. But a lot of my crew and my favorite guys are all US guys. You know, the dudes that, that break their back for me are all, you know, Ohio, Massachusetts, Detroit, you know, so that's going to be <laughs> challenging, man. I see the challenge. I mean, you could do what Tesseract did. Yeah, I've yeah, and shout out to them because that was really cool too. And we're looking at our options. We're about to lean heavily into content. There's going to be an even bigger PR push now. My manager and I were laughing because usually when whenever we start having the PR conversations for like a, a pre pre order rollout at the beginning of a cycle, you know, traditionally PR is always like we got to get the tour. We need the tour. We got to do it around the tour. And now PR does not care. They're like an email, sick, work, cool. Yeah, let's go. They don't care what you got going on. They just want to push it for you. So we're having conversations with everybody. We're getting ready to, you know, to really dig in. Probably going to be doing a ton of these. We're going to partner up with Guitar World like we normally do, but we're going to really go heavy with that push. Do you do your own mixing? I don't, actually. I'm about to do a record with Sam Guyana, actually, if you know who that is. Actually, yeah, I had him on the URM podcast a few months ago, actually. A great conversation. Sam is the man. He and I cut a demo at the beginning of the year. We were just sort of, you know, weighing our options for how we want to do this record. Um, the last two I've recorded on my own setup with Cameron McClellan, who plays bass with Protest the Hero. He's also like a co-producer and a co-writer with the band, has been for a few years. And he also does front of house for Daniel Caesar. And uh, he was supposed to be on tour with Jesse Reyes supporting Billie Eilish. And uh, he's at home in his apartment in what he calls the ups the upside down which is just waking up at 7 p.m i was gonna say if you and sam once it's done on the urm podcast we do these joint episodes sometimes where we get the mixer and the artist on and we'll talk about their collaboration they're really cool like like we did one with like machine and chris adler or like yeah. dave otero and dean from arc spire like they're like some of the best episodes if you guys if you want to do one with sam do that they're cool let's do it we're also talking about you know having him do you know live stream pro tools walkthroughs as we release singles as well to supplement content in the pre-order campaign like you know during the rollout to also tickle the fancy of of the of the nerdier folk as well which is going to be cool and i haven't i haven't really seen that done so much so we're going to try to roll that type of content out in, in tandem but sam i know would be into it for sure he and i get started on tuesday actually i'm really really excited and this is um it's something different for us because you know like i said i've done my last two records with cam 
And um, my last record was mixed by Simon Grove, uh, who plays bass with Plenty. Simon did an unbelievable job. Um, still so happy with that last record. And we talked about doing this one, but he just did the protest record. He's about to do Plenty's. Um, we're trying to focus our approach a little bit more. Being from Canada, we you know we tell, we always take advantage of the grant system here and everything. And last time, I don't think they were too. Factor wasn't too happy with us that the majority of my production was happening internationally. What you know. Simon's brother Tim also did the entire creative direction so like a lot of it was in Australia we still got funded but it was hard to convince them for that Factor's been a massive tool for us um, we've been implementing that since my since probably about 2013 2014 we've had numerous projects funded by the Ontario government we've also had music videos and tours um, supplemented by the Ontario government as well which is fantastic yeah so anyhow we're uh, we're getting ready to do a bunch of that stuff. So yes, let's definitely do URM. Sam would be excited about it. And I'm really excited to make a record with Sam. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Sam, he just did the latest Silverstein record. You guys need to check mm-hmm. that mix out, by the way. It absolutely slaps. So good. Oh, he's great. Yeah, man. he's he's. I cut a guest solo on that first track on the album, too. Check it out. It's sick. Sam's great. And I do believe that in the next few years, his name is going to grow quite a bit his work is stellar it really is man and this is the first time he's doing a project that's sort of in this vein he's actually more you know known for doing like post-hardcore projects pop punk projects you know and that this is that stuff is like the music i grew up on like my favorite era of like rock and metal and everything is like 2004 and to 2008 like i love that stuff so much and he really understands where i'm coming from with my attachment to that sound although i you know definitely channel and convey it in a different way you know with you know like technical guitar or instrumental guitar prog sort of being the the medium for that but we're really excited to um make a giant sounding guitar record and it's something that he's you know he's really amped up about too so what i'm about to say is in no way a dig on anybody okay, okay. so like this i'm saying this with full respect to anybody you've ever worked with because they're all sure. awesome mm-hmm. but is this your first time working with like a producer producer who's not like a musician in a band who also produces you know like if you're if you work with like someone who's in like a well-known band, but also produces like they're split and, but he, Sam's more like a standalone producer. That's like, that's his thing. hundred percent. So as far as like the, the timeline or the lineage goes, like the very first intervals project was recorded by myself and mixed by Nolly. Um, and that was the last time I ever decided to manage the recording of my own project. I just play so much better when I don't have to touch the computer, get somebody to do that shit, man. It's like, I, Look, the way I make records is I, I've been in the hole doing pre-pro since the beginning of this year. I've got tunes ready to go. I've essentially made all the moves I need to do to make this record, and I'm going to do it again because I'm sick and twisted. But no, it's because, it's because I can perform better and I can, I can explore nuance and focus more when I don't have to put the pick down to touch the trackpad straight up. Yeah, uh, anyhow, so I managed the recording for the first one. Nolly mixed it. I got a funny gear story about that one too, which you guys would laugh at. Maybe I'll come back to it, but uh, very embarrassing actually. <laughs> then the next project, the next two projects were with Jordan Valeriot, who runs Hardcore Music Studios. So Jordan is what I would consider to be more that standalone producer, mix engineer. Although I played guitar in Jordan's band 
after like I filled Jordan's role after Jordan left the band. I used to play in a, in a band called Kingdoms for a hot minute, which is an Ontario band that Jordan used to like write for, play guitar in and stuff. And funny enough, I didn't know Jordan, and then they brought me in, and I like kind of like you filled his shoes for a minute there. Then we made the In Time EP, and then we we went on to do our um, AVW record with um, Jordan, and then from there I worked with Cam. McClellan and we we did it with Anthony Calabretta who's mixed Volition for Protest the Hero Pacific Myth um, and also recorded Rhodey's vocals for the latest protest record and Anthony's been kind of embedded in that team for um, for a while and um, you know my manager also manages Protest the Hero shout out Richard Fernandez that's like the family that's why I'm sort of plugged in with those guys so that's why it all kind of makes sense there same with he, he also co-manages Silverstein so that's where that all that stuff kind of like makes sense. But, you know, so Sam, Sam was an option. We were talking about what we wanted to do. And we we're like, do we want to track again with Cam and then have Simon mix? And then at the time, this was pre-pandemic and Cam was going to be mixing Jesse Reyes and uh, on tour with Billie Eilish. So we were like, well, Cam's not an option. So we need to look at how we want to do this. So I went into Sam's studio. We cut a demo. Had an absolute blast. We spent two days just tracking guitars and having a good time and really great dynamic love his workflow love his attention to detail and we decided that he'd be a good fit to do the record with and as we were sort of sort of signing off on that we basically decided that it would be prudent to have him mix as well because you know with the way things go these days especially since we're like tracking so many you know so much of the the project is just di's and neural stuff is so good now that we can just get guitars and rough everything in as we're building the session, building out the record that I might as well have Sam mix. I love his, I love his work and uh, I want to do something different and I want to sound different than other music in the genre. And, um, I think that that's an opportunity to do that and to channel, you know, some of the, the other things that I really like about music and where Sam's strong suits lie. And I think we're going to convey that really well. So yeah. Shout out to Sam. Really excited to make this uh, album starting on Tuesday. I'm about to lose my damn mind. It's going to be great. I can imagine. Speaking of going into the studio, one thing that is just so common is that musicians go in unprepared mm-hmm. and uh, like they don't know how to prepare for it. Just out of curiosity, what do you do in order to be prepared? Hmm. Good question, because that's it's literally where my head's at right now. Yeah, let's talk about it. Well, the challenge is revisiting the tunes you wrote at the beginning of the year that you haven't cracked open in a hot minute. You know, if you finished those arrangements, you finished everything, you're like, cool, the song's done. What the hell? Now, here's the thing, right? I take a lot of videos because, you know, whether I'm excited about a, a section and I want to share it with the team or, I, you know, maybe it's for Instagram or maybe it's just for me. I've got enough videos of some of the meat to be able to to work out anything that my muscle memory or my ear can't remind me of, but there are definitely parts where I'm like, oh boy, how, you know, you explored uh, so much like nuance and detail in the moment about that given part, but then you didn't really create those neuro pathways for that. Like you didn't really build that muscle memory into the repertoire. So it rears its head on things like harmonies, and things like that, of course, you know, you can just use, you know, you can deduce, okay, that was like, you know, a third above, third below, whatever, and just work the line out. But sometimes there's little, little things. I'm so particular about fingering and, and you know, various things like that. Like, 
getting things to feel right in my hands, but also sound a certain way. There's, and then oftentimes there's the result yields one option for doing that properly. Yep. And then in the moment, did you remember what that thing was? Mm, takes a second to find it. Dude, and you know what else? Guitar is so not set up to... I think you can play the average note like six different yes. places or something. It's so... It's challenging. It, you see that... Yeah, you see this all the time when people try to figure out other people's music. They might get the notes right, but... The articulation is incorrect. There's so much more to guitar than just the notes. Big time. So so for me, the heavy lifting is cracking open those early sessions. Sit down, comb the rhythms, make sure that all the riffs and everything are dialed, right hand feels good, and it's like... I'm embodying the personality of that song from the perspective of rhythms and then square that away. Often what we'll do is we'll just set up the whiteboard and organize our approach to be like, okay, we're tackling rhythms on the whole record because I need to get my head in that zone. I don't want to be flipping into lead mode and getting delicate and more touch sensitive. I want to, you know, beat the shit out of the the rhythms and make them sound, you know, the way they're supposed to. I'll even divide it up so that if there's any like you know, split coil or mid gain pushed clean sounds and stuff. We do them separate, but just, I'm going to handle full tilt, full humbucker rhythms. Let's just get that. So might take me two days, three days or something, you know, while I'm in the studio, of course, I'm going to have to review parts. The session is loaded with all of my scratch takes from pre pro. We can just call up the left side, call up the right side, what I do here, what I do there, and then get it feeling good. Get it feeling right. No ego as well. If I have to punch a moment or clean something up, we'll do our best to you know rough in an entire section and then just clean up those little tiny moments where maybe there's some string talk or a hammer-on's getting fluffed here or something like that. Little things. And we get it right. Then I'll lay out, you know, let's do two or three songs on leads a day until we're ready. And the night prior, I'll crack those sessions open on my own time so I don't have to drive the engineer back absolutely bonkers while i review you know was it the seventh fret on the b string or was it the you know 12th fret on the g string you know you just get it get it right come in and then spend time on nuance rather than reviewing entire sections that's what i try to do everything's in this this brain of mine it's just about so it's not really learning it's just about reviewing optimizing yeah, optimizing. Very good. Yeah, I'm just reviewing everything that I've already created. My muscle memory is good enough to where once I get my hand around a shape, I remember the moves I made. Because a lot of the time for me, my parts are dictated by what feels good. Also, what sounds good, but I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a stickler for like, it's a, it's, guitar's a selfish thing for me. It's like I need to be like stoked about every move I make so that I can honestly, you know, convey it properly live or you know anytime i have to perform this stuff i don't i'm not a fan of just like listening to a moment deciding what sounds the best and then you know just committing it to the record without ever assessing whether or not it felt good to play or it's realistic to recreate it's guitar music you know makes sense for me uh, one thing that I found is really dumb to finalize on a demo as a solo. Cause uh, if I do that and really get into the solo on the demo, I'm going to end up with something that's as good as it'll ever get. And then what, you know, really, really go for it on a solo and like put in the hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you don't have that same spark. There's this moment where 
you're creating something it's like the lightning bolt happens or the the light bulb turns on and you're just connected with the creativity and it influences everything and if you if you do that on the demo that it is what it is i've noticed so i find that with like solos and stuff it's good to kind of rough out a structure or something and for the most part i have that as an option we could get into scrutinizing the quality of the di i mean i'm plugged into a apollo i don't know what sam's gonna take my DIs fine. on but it's fine, fine right but yeah i guess if you're looking for an avenue to like provide advice for a would-be guitar player who's getting ready for the studio just just review your parts before you go in there you know and don't don't push yourself to do it all at once. Try to create a schedule with the producer, the engineer, so you know what songs are coming up. And then the night before, just like do your fucking homework, you know, and then don't drive them nuts. You're still gonna, you know, cut the body up a thousand ways. Just get a look at it first, you know? So speaking of the muscle memory part, I want to key in on something you said. You said that your muscle memory is good enough to where... It seems like, well, you didn't say this, but um, in assuming that you have confidence in your playing, that your muscle memory is good enough that you're going to be able to handle it. You just need to get your mind around what you did. So, right? Did I understand that correctly? Yes. I just need to remember decisions because I can dial timing. I can dial articulation in the moment. We can evaluate. Uh, how things are feeling and how they need to feel. But recalling an entire part, I mean, I can do it. Here's the thing. So for me, a lot of my early experience as a guitar player was being the only guitar player in a large ensemble. I went to a music theater-based high school, and uh, I refused to do the choir aspect, even though it was like compulsory for my credit. So I convinced them that I need to be the guitar player in the stage band. But like the, you know, it didn't really work that way. Like you can't be in the music theater program and then like also be the guitar player in the stage band. But it's what I wanted. and I managed to get it my way. So (laughs) you don't take no's. And then I got there and not that I refused to read music. Like I can read chord charts, no problem. But lifting intricate notation not necessarily my strong suit, maybe in isolation, but not on the spot. So my band leaders would like spoil me in a sense, and they would like solo out, you know, whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. So if I'm playing unison with oboes or the, you know, the flute section, he would put me on the spot, have them play. I would use my ear and find everything in front of everybody and when you're young and you're building you know um your your skill set um you're gonna learn how to work fast under pressure when like 30 kids are waiting on you so i got really good at figuring things out fast you you get one reference point and everything else is finding your way from that point so i managed to get good at it fast but when it comes to like remembering my own material, there is a there's a corner of my mind that did make those decisions at one point. I just have to get my hands around it again, and then I can figure out all the intricacies from there. So what do you do 
physically in order to make sure that that side of it is no issue. Cause I mean, yeah, there's, I get it with the mental side, but there's also the physical side of playing. Yeah. I mean, I'll just isolate a section, you know, just play along and be honest with myself about what needs work. So this moment that this thing, uh, picking's a little loose here. Left-hand articulation is like a little bit, a little bit loose here. Zero in on it. The same way I would practice anything, really. You know, just call up the part, get my hands around it again. I also know my own moves enough to like know where I was coming from on a certain thing. So I don't ever really play things that are like assembled and then like, oh, I'll have to learn to play later or things that are like outside my wheelhouse or whatever. So I just... Do you do technical practice now? In the context of what it requires to you know, record and create the music. Okay. So, but you don't sit down and like, just do six hours of technical practice a day for the sake of doing Who the fuck has time for that. Believe it or not, bro. <laughs> hey, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you, but we've talked to some people and I'm sure, you know, some people too, who, uh, Oh, I do. Yeah, I who, do, but they don't make records. They just, they just play. <laughs> No, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just joshing. But yeah, there are those guys exist, man. They exist. It's called Berkeley. I got, I got one of them in my band. Jacob graduated. Most guys don't even graduate. I didn't graduate. Yeah. Shout out Berkeley. There you go. And I've and I've had um, Thomas Griggs as well, Floridian guitar player from Tampa. Also, you know, do a couple tours with me. Did Europe with me last summer. We did Download Festival and all kinds of stuff. And he did, uh, he'd done a few runs with me, actually. And he's, yeah, he's a Berkeley guy, you know? I think I, what I've noticed is that it's a certain personality type. The ones who do the six to eight hours a day their whole lives and, like, are cool doing that. Yeah. But typically, they need someone who's more like, I think, the way you think, that's got, like, the business perspective, who's very... It sounds like you play with a purpose, like... I'm going to record this. So I'm going to learn how to do that. Right. And it's always like goal oriented, outcome oriented playing. I think that, uh, those like the player for the sake of player types, they need to be partnered with, uh, someone who thinks like you, and then it can actually be a really good partnership in my opinion. Absolutely. I think I take like, what I learned in the early days about how to practice and I've just applied it to deliberate outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I got the same way with my playing. Like there, when I was really young, I practiced my fucking ass off. Mm -hmm. But then there came a point where I got to a level where it was like, it was pretty good. And then projects started to happen. I want to get my band signed. I want to get my studio off the ground. And so I could no longer focus on five or six or seven hours a day of just getting fast or something. Like, how am I going to do that? And then also like organize getting a band signed to Roadrunner. Like that's not going to, it's not going to happen. So I started only practicing for the songs that we're playing, songs that we're going to record, songs that are going to be on the tour, the end. So I totally, totally relate to that. I think I think that it's a necessary way to be for somebody in the band has to be that way. No band's going to get off the ground without one member 
uh, being outcome oriented like that, I think. Yeah. Or else it's like um, herding cats. Basically. <laughs> You're not going to get them to run in the same direction ever, which is sort of why I kind of do things the way I do. Bit of an un- unorthodox sort of approach to having a live touring act. What do you mean specifically? What do you mean by do things the way you do? Because Intervals is just me and then live we're a band, but otherwise it's one guy like eating, sleeping, breathing the whole operation because it's very challenging to find like everyone in your area and everyone's got like the ability to delegate and take tasks well and everyone's holding each other accountable. It doesn't, you're, I, yeah, you're laughing. It's such a rare thing. Yeah. It's extremely rare. It's extremely rare. Yeah. I hear this all the time from Riff Hard or URM students and I get hit up about this all the time. Like here's the situation. I live in a small town. I really want to get my band off the ground, but I can't find anybody to play with. I hear that all the time and I always think to myself that's such an excuse cuz I know people First of all, like everybody from my band was not from my town. Everybody in my town fucking sucked and I live in a big city. But they sucked. I'm sorry. The people in the Atlanta metal scene in 2004 fucking sucked. So I had to go, I had to get Emil from Alabama, get Kevin Talley from Maryland. Like, it's just the way it had to be done. And like, I hear your story and I'm like, yeah, I get it. So when I hear people saying, I don't know what to do, it's like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Like, get on the fucking internet and find people. Dude, that's it. I mean... I just started composing songs because I knew that like the future of making this kind of music was, you know, headed in that direction. I got a MacBook Pro and a Pod XT, like the the little red bean, and I was like, "All right, sick!" And plug my my Rocket Sixes into that bad boy, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brown's pointing at his. <laughs> You got the rack though. You're you're a pro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, you know that was the early days, and um, you know, inadvertently, I was contacted by like one of my favorite drummers, who you know Brown's worked with as well, and um, you know we got to working together in you know a noop live ten. 10 hours from me like and at the time there was no budget there's nothing like you know um we started God, he's so good you know oh unbelievable love that guy yeah we just basically like started collaborating he started doing youtube like playthroughs of of songs i think the most notable reason that he may have gravitated towards working with me was he really liked how much attention I was putting into program drums. Drums are my second instrument as well, if people don't know that. So I've always wanted to like play drums in a band. I feel like they're having the most fun, you know, but I I was able to get more done with a guitar. So there's something to be said for somebody who can play multiple instruments and envision you know, envision the finish line basically. It's so important, you know, when you're demoing or you're trying to orchestrate all the moves of a of how a band's gonna deliver a song you know do you know who that producer eddie kramer is i know the name 
he's like big time classic rock dude. He did like Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and like okay people like that. And uh, he came and did a like a master class when I was at Berkeley, and somehow I attended it. I wasn't even studying production, but he was talking about working with those giants and it was like what what do they have in common like is there something that those dudes all have in common like eric clapton and jimmy page and jimmy hendrix and he said yeah the thing that's different between those people and your normal musicians is they could see they could see the future basically like they could see like three football fields ahead of everybody else like they could just envision everything the way it was gonna be years into the future. And that was, they just had that ability, basically. Yeah, it's um, macro versus micro. You know, some guys are really good at just serving that, that role and falling in line with what's required of them to serve a part. And some guys make the parts. Which is necessary. Yeah, you need that too. So you gotta have both. Have you always been that way or is this something you had to kind of adopt? Definitely always been that way. Like with my, with my previous endeavors and stuff was usually the, you know, I mean, from a creative standpoint, collaborative from a ambitious or more strategic, like business oriented approach, definitely the driving force. It just always felt that way. It's just how you're wired. It's just how I'm wired. Yeah. Just to kind of circle back to like the point you were making about people having that excuse of not being able to find anyone. Anoop and I had maybe talked a little bit online. He covered like two songs and then Halpern hits me up and goes, uh, Peripheries play in Toronto, Frack the Gods tour. It's like 2010, 11, something like that with the human abstract textures and contortionist. And He's like, yo, do you guys want to open the Toronto show? And Anoop and I, like, I mean, we never met in person at that point. And I said, yes. So he just got in his car, drove his drums 10 hours to Canada. I don't even think he'd ever been to Canada. You know, we just jammed for like 90 minutes and played a show. (laughs) I rushed to like finish two other songs just to have a set that became the space between EP. That was our inaugural effort. And, uh, I met my first manager that night and everything started with accepting that show on like no prep, just saying, yes, I've, I've always been a big, um, proponent of, uh, punching above your weight major advocate for for taking opportunities that are going to push you in the deep end. You got to do it. I think that that actually is when people hit me up about the uh, I can't find people to work with excuse. I think that what they're really saying is I'm afraid to try. Like I think I don't because I don't Bingo. I don't believe that you can actually not find people. That's bullshit. Like it's objectively untrue. You can find people especially now like there's you can find people anywhere yeah so i think that there's that there's a subtext going on there's like what they actually mean and what they actually mean is i'm scared to uh i'm scared to fail and i'm scared to take opportunities yeah and it's not easy of course not if you're confident enough in your own ability then invest in it and if it's in the form of 
plane tickets or rehearsal spaces, then what are you doing? Get it done. Yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, I don't think that's what the issue actually is. No, you're right. It's a, it's just something to fall back on. Yeah. It's similar to this COVID thing. Still got that going on, by the way. But, <laughs> Anxiety? Yeah, well, you, it's, it, well <laughs> okay, so that's reasons. the thing. You never get rid of that stuff, in my opinion. Like, no. if, if you have anxiety and shit like that, you can manage it. But the issue isn't whether you have it or not. The issue is what you do about it. How you manifest it as well. I'm two days away from starting a record. Haven't tracked since 2017. So I got that, you know, I got the jitters a little bit, you know, because I just want to do a good job. I just played to 12,000 people on a mountain on the Bangladesh border in India, and I didn't even have a moment to have stage fright. You know, it's like you're so wrapped up in it. You're there and you're there to do a job. And when I'm oiled up and doing live music, then it doesn't manifest that way. It's just another day at the office. But I'm about to enter a room with a guy that I know. I've got a thousand Actually, I've got infinite like mulligans and do-overs, and I'm still nervous. So speaking of things that are pre-wired, so that uh, ability to get the anxiety or the fear and then do it anyways, is that also something that you just always did? Like, fuck it, just do it? Yeah, because I just know like humans are intelligently designed, but also extremely faulty. You know, we're just fancy monkeys, right? So... <laughs> You know, just because I have anxiety doesn't mean that it's like my life is in danger. It's just manifesting in a way that means that whatever I'm about to do is probably very important to me in some capacity. So I'm feeling heightened sense of X, Y, Z, you know, because I know that it's something that I want to do well. doesn't mean that it's time to, you know, run away from a bear up a tree. But that's how we're wired, unfortunately. They'll chase you up a tree, by the way. <laughs> just uh just so it's you know story for another podcast <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man and there's ways to manage it uh something for me that i discovered in the last two years was the gym it was huge it's massive you know and having that taken away from me at a time when i'm creating and you know it was supposed to be part of my daily regimen keep my brain on track keep the hands feeling good keep the body feeling right it's been challenging so what can you do when you don't have that? Well, I make sure I get on a walk like, you know, 10,000 steps minimum a day. Always got to adaptogens. I've discovered Ayurveda and, you know, naturopathy. So What's that? fun things to supplement with. Ayurveda? Uh, yeah, I've never heard of what you're talking about. Ayurveda is like the sort of the umbrella that Indian traditional medicine falls under. So utilizing things like ashwagandha, Okay, yeah. Rhodiola, ginseng, things like that to supplement in the diet to help, you know, to help the brain, help the nervous system, autonomic nervous system, CBD, micro amounts of silly things <laughs> that I don't know if I'm allowed to. Nootropics, it's incredible. You want to you want to reset that brain? Saddle up. I actually do have a question about microdosing cuz I've heard all about it. What, how do you determine a microdose? It'd be a question for my confidant who makes the formulation. So it just has to, you know, 
be under a certain amount. Um, anything under probably half a gram. It's going to depend on your, your threshold for things. But the thing is, is like, just like with cannabinoids, um, it only requires a trace amount to activate receptors in the body. So just because you're not feeling like... Um, High. Yeah. You know. And hey, you can take it there. And it's productive too. The idea is that you're nourishing the nervous system. You're merging hemispheres in the brain. We're, you know, focusing on now and tomorrow and not yesterday. It's often paired with lion's mane mushroom, which is, uh, you can actually, you know, just buy it as a supplement. Your local health food store. Lion's mane, if you like Google what that looks like, um, it's got this wispy white sort of threaded look. They look like like puff balls that like grow on the side of a tree. I'm looking it up. Uh, but it has that like, yeah, check it out, lion's mane. It has um, an innate, uh, what do they call that? When um, something in nature looks the way it affects you. It's a, a signature, essentially. But the health benefits are... It resheathes your neural connections in myelin, which is what essentially keeps neuropathways open. And in fact, it actually stimulates neurogenesis, which is the growth of new neurons, aka this is the fight against Alzheimer's. This is the fight against neurological degradation over time. So when you pair that with psilocybin in trace amounts, you nourish the nervous system and you recreate and regrow neurological pathways that might be short-circuiting and causing your anxiety and your depression because the fancy monkey that we are learns from experience. Your emotional ego is the same as when you were seven years old and that's just the way it is. So actively you know, regrowing around those things and soothing and engaging, you know, rest and digest versus fight or flight allows the body to heal and do, you know, what it is that we're always trying to do. And of course, this has to be paired with, you know, sleep hygiene, thoughtfulness, uh, like mindfulness, meditation, you know, or you can do none of those things and just toss a couple capsules, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and uh, I promise, 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 you'll be all good. So you're noticing like an actual marked difference? 1,000%. It's amazing. And funny enough, I'm actually about to jump off when we're done here and have a conversation with a major advocate for this, who's somebody that I, I did their podcast earlier, Colin from the band Circus Survive. And he has a podcast called The Cosmic Nod. Yeah, he's a legend. And we're The Cosmic Nod. Colin is actually one of the first people that I, I saw sort of advocating. Of course, I've heard, you know, Paul Stamets talk about it on Joe Rogan. And I've been just interested in researching mycelia for a number of years now. I just find it fascinating. There's a lot of people I know that have suffered chronic depression and anxiety and are coming into the, um, you know, the greatest season of their life later, you know, late twenties, early thirties in the wake of discovering, you know, nature's little, um, little fix 
for a lot of the things that ALS. But look, the FDA can't patent a mushroom. So why would they they can't sell that to you? It's also extremely cheap to create and produce. So there's just no margin. So they're not going to they're not going to tell you about this wonderful medicine that exists in nature. I mean, the cannabis store looks like the fucking Apple store now. We're catching on there. But the things that I'm describing, you got to find it yourself. So over the course of writing this record, it's been amazing to, especially like when lockdown was like super deep here, uh, it was important to keep looking forward and enjoy the moment and not, you know, ruminate. It's synergistic with a lot of other things, like some of those practices I was describing, like mindfulness, nourishing the body, getting the diet right, sleeping. Exercise. Yeah, it's huge. But nootropics are great too. You know, Rogan's company, uh, I believe it's on it, has a formulation called Alpha Brain. Yeah, I take it. Yeah, Alpha Brain slaps. And when you stack it with the micro concoction, which is what we would consider to be the, the Stamets protocol, which is lion's mane, psilocybin, and um, niacin, which is um, vitamin B3. When you stack those together, together, especially with like alpha brain or similar, something that has alpha GPC, something with choline, throw a little cold brew coffee in there. You're about to make a record, my guy. The thing I like about alpha brain is that it's not extreme. No, it's wonderful. It's not stimulatory at all. You can, you can add caffeine. You can add the coffee if you need that. It's incredible. Today's a day where I got a lot of thinking to do. We'll go from a podcast straight into a, you know, a creative pitch to an artist about the entire you know, aesthetic direction of my record. Uh, I'm switched on. <laughs> I want to, though, point out what's really, really important with all this that we're talking about is uh, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, when people talk about antidepressants, for instance, and them not working and but they don't do any of the other stuff like get therapy eat right exercise get sunlight socialize sleep right all that stuff the only way that an antidepressant is going to work is if you do all that other stuff with it and then it will kind of work but if you just take it and then continue all your shitty behaviors and don't address the issues it's not going to do anything. It might actually make it worse. You're correct about that. I feel that way with with anything like this, that uh, there's no actual magic pill or substance that's going to fix your fucked upness. Like It's got to be a holistic approach. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a great disclaimer. And I'll tell you that the journey for me began with seeking out balance in those other aspects before I found the compliment to the to the approach uh which is what we you know what we're describing here well that's why it's called a supplement it's a supplement it's not everything you got to get that diet right and if 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 you're going to do anything the source of your fuel and how you rebuild that body and nourish that body is everything so i i went down the rabbit hole um, in 2018 about um, nutrition. And it's how I discovered naturopathy, which is what took me in this direction. But I'll tell you right now, man, like everything changed for me once I realized that caring about what we consume, how and when, it's phenomenal. You know, 
I'm into all kinds of crazy stuff. I'll be like waking up and I juice a whole sock, stock of celery, drink like 16 ounces of celery juice in the morning. I got an infrared light. I'm doing all the wild biohacker shit and I love it. I don't look at a blue screen or a well-lit screen for like 90 minutes before bed. If I have to, I use blue blockers. I'm super into this concept of, spoiler alert, my record is called Circadian. <laughs> so this is the whole, this is a great little uh, pre-advert for for this for me. But yeah, um, that's the vibe, man, is is we're so disconnected from from that cycle, from that sun up, sun down. You know, you need to take your shoes off. You need to go put your feet in the grass or in the soil, get some sun, eat right, sleep, you know, be around people that are positive, that promote the things about you that you love, and then explore the tools, explore those other things. And if you're a creative individual, if you do work with computers, if you write, if you do things that require you know, sustained mental focus where you often find yourself drifting or unsure of things, at least just try something like alpha brain. You know, um, I promise I'm not, you know, I'm not steering you in the wrong direction. I would never do that. You know, I experiment with enough things to, to kind of like know what works and what doesn't and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for this stuff and it's, it's becoming legal medicine everywhere, you know, not nootropics, but psilocybin. How do you keep it up? on the road because you said that you toured for like two and a half years straight and so if i'm thinking time-wise you're saying that you discovered this entire lifestyle shift in 2018 which means that you discovered your lifestyle shift in the middle of a two and a half year tour cycle which has got to be the hardest time to make a positive lifestyle change yes and no um i was in the best shape of my whole life at the end of 2019 and it's a result of tour. Bus parks up in the gym before sound check. No distractions. Get it every day. Intermittent fasting every day. No snacks with the boys at night. It's hard. It's hard to do. Or you shift that eat window and you get the snacks in, but you just make room for it. You know. So I was training fasted. Don't always do that. I'm not necessarily an advocate for it, but creating situations that work for you, finding things that you love to eat. So I'll stock the bus covered in my, you know, my area of the fridge with a trip to Whole Foods. You know, I'm not doing the Walmart thing. I'm just making sure that everything I I intake, and we tweak the rider for this too, of course, you know. Lots of organic you know, rotisserie chickens daily for clean protein source, tons of vegetables and fruit, dark chocolate, you know, all the, all the stuff that helps, you know, all the stuff that works and finding those things that you love and just implementing them as like sort of no brainer options. I just created an environment for myself that no matter what I did, it was beneficial to me and uh, just making, you know, Holding each other accountable as well. I've got, you know, Jacob who loves to to train as well. And he and I will just go, you know, get in there and push each other with the trap bar, get into some really nice Metcon circuits and just we were we were our best selves out there, you know. Come home and then they take the gym away from me during lockdown. I mean I'm a little little bit softer now, unfortunately, but we'll get it back, you know. It's all good. Did you ever have insomnia? Because you're just talking, you know, calling it circadian, talking about proper sleep hygiene. Did you ever have insomnia that you had to fix? My anxiety will be the catalyst for 
whether or not sleep is happening um, correctly. I wouldn't call it full-blown insomnia, but even if something's just a little off, I find myself waking up in the middle of the night and the mind is going the minute I'm cognizant of being awake and then you know it's hard to get back. But I think the biggest stuff other than resolving you know, emotional subluxation is probably get that screen away from your damn face before bed. If you're going to do one thing, invest in blue blockers if you have to look at that screen. But get that thing away from... Get it away from your head. Airplane mode at night. Like, what the hell? You know, it's it, it, these things are real. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not the 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 five G guy going nuts about all that. But <laughs> well, that's but, different. <laughs> hey, that's a different thing. But look, we're being bombarded at all times. I had the worst sleep of my life living in downtown Toronto, and you know, yeah, there were other like lifestyle factors and stuff that were you know sort of impacting that. But man, light pollution, freaking Wi-Fi signals was bouncing around everywhere. I was just. 28 floors up feeling disconnected. That's why that's why this record is what it is for me. This is the return to, you know, to earthing, if you will. You know, super important. Get some blue blockers. They're cheap. Just get glasses. I'm telling you. And the reason for that is because blue light, and this goes back to the fancy monkey point, blue light to the brain is just sun. And you're not making melatonin. You're not in that you know, that pre-sleep cycle that sets you up for everything that needs to happen when it's time for sleep. All of the various processes that need to happen for repairing tissues to, you know, um, you know, uh, heart rate variability, blood pressure, um, you know, all the mental things that have to happen, you know, like, you know, putting things in the in filing cabinets, if you will, and organizing those thoughts. Um, it's very important. So, yeah. Yeah. So just blue blockers, man. That's it. Just if you're going to have to look at your phone, just tint that and get the brain headed in the right direction like 90 minutes before bed. And you'll notice an insane difference, I promise. Also, temperature of your room and things like that. Sleep hygiene is fascinating to me. Um, something that I'm constantly talking about with uh, my girls in um, kinesiology. And she's about to... Um, graduated in a year and she's super into naturopathy and biohacking and stuff like we're so you know we're two peas in a pod we're very dialed in with that whole thing and it makes a huge difference man i, I promise like i wouldn't does. be you know talking woo woo to everybody about this stuff if i didn't believe it i've been doing that stuff too and it uh it fixed my insomnia and uh just so you know the amazon kindle device not the app but the actual device has a no blue light mode so you can read yeah it it goes really orange too which is which is good there's still a semblance of artificial light happening there is a rear lit screen um but it takes the strain away from the retina implementing something like a blue blocker glass is amazing like i can't i can't look at a a phone on full tilt full tilt anytime after like 6 p.m. dude that shit messes with my head i get migraines i just feel like i look at somebody's phone and i'm like how do you look at that you know same same thing in the morning i strategically put my glasses on when i come to i try not to touch my phone you know it's hard though but then what i'll do is i'll take the glasses off when it's time to let natural sun into the brain the way you would if you woke up under a tree or in a cave like again we're just we're just monkeys right so you just want to 
get yourself as close to that as possible. And it has major implications on, you know, mental health, your mental performance throughout the day, ability to focus, ability to adapt to stress. I mean, some people who who follow you guys probably follow Matt Halpern and they probably notice like he's been into some of the biohacking stuff. He posted he posted the ice oh, bath. Yeah. Dude, cold exposure, unbelievable. Some of the best it's the best shit I've ever done. Like two minutes in minus, you know, zero water. I know it sounds absolutely bonkers, but no, it doesn't. I've been doing it too. It's unreal. Yeah. Um, if you guys want good resources for this stuff, everyone should just go follow, um, Ben Greenfield on Instagram. He's a great source of this type of stuff. He can be like super left field with the stuff he's created, like a, you know, biohacker's dream in his like, you know, compound in Spokane, Washington, where he lives. Every aspect of his life is tweaked and optimized. I mean, there's a level in which this stuff is just kind of overkill. But it, implementing certain aspects of this, like, it's not woo woo. The shit works. I concur. Actually, I had Matt on the URM podcast a couple of months ago, and basically this is all we talked about for two hours because I've been doing a lot of this stuff too, like the cold exposure and a lot of the stuff you're talking about. And it's been life transforming. Matt also told me what sauna to buy, and I put it in my bedroom. But uh, yeah, there you we, go. we've been doing a lot of the same stuff, and uh, it's... Like, it's not woo-woo at all, and I hate woo-woo stuff. Like, I'm very anti-woo-woo. Uh, I can't... S- well, that's a good endorsement. Yeah, just so... There I just go. need to throw that out there. Like, I cannot stand that shit. I hate pseudoscience. I hate bro science, and I I can't stand conspiracies, like the 5G stuff. So when I talk about this stuff, I'm only talking about stuff that I've experienced or have fucked with. It works in a way that I think, like... Maybe a lot of people don't allow themselves to fully understand why, you know, stressors in our life, like emotional things or financial things or whatever, they have the same impact as physical stressors. And the body... We don't know the difference. We don't know the difference. The, the mind has just got a blindfold on it, essentially. You know, your senses tell you, but emotions will elicit the same response. So... The thing is, is like adapting to hormetic stress is how we become better versions of ourselves. This is how you build a body. This is how you build a mind. You know, I mean, what is what creates an anabolic environment in the body? Tearing down muscle tissue and building it back better than it was before. Yep. That's how you become a fit individual, right? So if you're doing the same thing with cold exposure, okay, and you do you do a breathe up in advance, you get your heart rate right, you get your mind right and you allow yourself to go somewhere mentally with intent and you endure that two minutes, I promise the next time your girl calls you up and says something that would normally stress you out, or you might look at your bank account balance or something that usually triggers you, there's like this tangible gap between you and stress because your body immediately knows like, I was in the freaking cold. Like, this is nothing like what you know what I'm saying, and yep. your mind can't tell the difference. You are building mental toughness. What's that guy, David Goggins? He's way <laughs> off the deep end with this shit, but Goggins is on the right track. Goggins is on the right track. He's a massive advocate for cold exposure. Everyone should check out Wim Hof, 
David Goggins, Ben Greenfield. Yeah, welcome to Biohacking 101. It's amazing. It'll make a difference in your life. I back all of those. Uh, the David Goggins book is amazing. I bought the Wim Hof course and I'm like there you go. nine weeks in and I follow Ben Greenfield too. The My theory on it is since uh, you know modern society is brand new in the course of evolution, we've adapted to respond to mortal danger. Like that's all we know, but there's no real mortal danger around us. And like we said, we, you don't know the difference. So like you see your bank account balance, it's not what you think it is. You're going to have a mortal danger type response. And because you're not used to that sort of thing, uh, it's going to be out of proportion, irrational, and will take control of you. And by, by throwing yourself into these stressful environments intentionally, like cold, uh, you're you're basically, first of all, you're getting rid of that. You're getting rid of that extra energy you have for reacting to danger, and also you're just toughening yourself up. It works, and it's like it's like the miracle. You know, it's like we were talking about microdosing, and it's like, well, that all sounds too good to be true. Well, what if I told you that cold exposure not only gave you mental toughness, but it also mobilizes and converts adipose tissue into energy that's burned off from thermogenesis, aka you are burning body fat while you are cold. You get a massive metabolism spike afterwards. Huge appetite, deep sleep, all these things, a tight tummy, Throw some caffeine in there. It's even more synergistic. Get get in that cold tub with a little bit of caffeine, black coffee, fasted. Get in there. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be the best version of yourself. Promise. I would never steer you wrong. It's true. It works. The shit works. I love it. You work up to it. Work up to it. You do it in the shower first. Yeah. You start running that thing like as cold as you can get it, 20 seconds at the end, 30 seconds tomorrow, 40 seconds the next day. See if you can push it and do it with intent. Don't just be like, oh, it's going to be so cold. Like, Own it. Tell yourself where you're about to go mentally and you resolve an issue. You you pin it down and you go there with intent and you focus on that and you tell yourself you're tougher than that. Not tougher than cold. You're tougher than whatever the issue is. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Just to reiterate, you don't just jump in an ice bath the first time. Like, No, do not do that. No, I tried because that. Because you have to get your breathing under control. There's not a chance you're doing that. You'll have a... You'll get the hypothermic response. You're not. I tried it once and it was the mo like before I knew the method of getting there and it was one of the most painful experiences of my life and uh, it was really stupid. Yeah. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I had been preparing myself by doing the the cold showers and of course i was you know reading and some of the people i look up to were major advocates so i knew at one point i'm you know i'm in store for it and a really close friend of mine that i used to play in a band with here in the city his sister started working for a company in the city called uh inward and they have a ice bath and an infrared sauna and i decided okay we're going to do this. So it was like just before lockdown, I managed to get five or six sessions in. You do a breathe up. There is some essential oils and some other things involved to help get the mind right, relax you, put you in that state. And they tell you like, don't get in there without intent. 
set an intention. That's the whole idea, right? And they actually implore that you can get in there having never experienced it. They say about 1% of people can't make it two minutes. Thing is, though, if you don't breathe up properly, you're in for some pain because your extremities will... I mean, if anyone's felt what cold feels like, you know it's not that fun. (laughs) To put it mildly. But if you do a breathe up properly, you can actually blunt those pain receptors. There's a way to breathe for that in advance. Oxygenate the blood and um, set that mental intention. My longest is three minutes and it's incredible. And oh, the high you feel when you come out of there and it's non-stimulatory. It's catecholamine, it's epinephrine, norepinephrine on a bajillion. You feel incredible. Like you just ran, you know, a thousand triathlons and you just got a check for a billion dollars. Like you feel unbelievable. It's so sick. I was going to say, you don't need caffeine. No. I mean, I, I know what you're saying about using the caffeine with it, but yeah. anytime that I do the cold showers, like uh, which is now daily, my need for caffeine has gone down dramatically. I do it strategically to reset my mood midday. That's smart. So if I'm burning out a little bit or something, I reserve it as like a tool. Like I've been recording or working all day, 5 p.m. rolls around, it's time to go out, be social, see friends or go do something with my girl or something. If I'm fading a little bit because I just, you know, burned all of my mental bandwidth on music or whatever, cold shower, bang, you're back. It works. Yeah, it's huge. Also, water water conducts temperature a little differently than air, too. Than just straight, dry, cold air. And there are cryogenic treatments as well, and a lot of guys will do that. You'll often see Olympians or, you know, UFC guys doing cryo... Um, you know, Joe Rogan's another great resource for this kind of stuff. I mean, he, he does, you know, one of everything, of course, but. And he's, and he's got it all in his house too. Oh, it's dialed. Yeah. Well, at the house and at the podcast studio. So anyone who's listening to this, like, and is wondering how or why we got here, these things are super important for people who, you know, manage their own career are the, you know, the determining or driving factor in their creative output. Yeah, there is no one else. There is no one else, yeah. you know, It's like I'm my own boss and I love that, but I have to keep me not only accountable, but I have to keep me dialed because if I'm taking care of me, then I want the best version of me to take care of me. Yeah, and it's very easy to let that slip when you're your own boss and especially if you're creative, it's very easy to get imbalanced with stuff. It's almost the nature of the gig in a way. Yeah. We go off the deep end, you know, I'm obsessive, I'm OCD, I'm all those things, but this keeps me in check. It keeps me feeling like a human, you know, and it's not like I'm doing cold exposure, like, you know, for hours a day. These Hormetic stress is small, tiny bursts, you know, and it's actually not even like the biggest component of my approach to maybe like biohacking my environment. The biggest thing for me, diet. That's everything. If you're going to do one thing, just get polyunsaturated oils out of your diet. If you're going to do one thing, stop eating packaged food straight up. I think also if you are the obsessive type and you know that about yourself, then obsess about things that'll make your life better. Like, so I don't think that you can yeah. go from being obsessive to non-obsessive. If, 
if you if that's who you are, it's who you are. So then if you know that about yourself, you have a choice. Like, what am I going to be obsessive about? And I feel like it, that goes back to intent. If you don't direct that in a good way, you can do what a lot of our friends have done. I've done it in the past and just put all that energy into bad shit, basically like unhealthy things or life destroying things. Like you're, it's like a high powered weapon that's going to be going, it's going to be firing no matter what. Like, so you can either have it pointed at yourself uh, or not. And it's up to you which way that weapon's pointed. Yeah. You just got to harness it, you know, put it to positive work basically. It's weird because I I did notice like a tangible difference once I started discovering this stuff that I'm consuming more content, educating myself about, you know, diet and nutrition and naturopathy and biohacking. And I realized like, wow, I haven't like watched a pedal demo or an amp <laughs> demo in a hot minute. No shit. You know? <laughs> and I did it for years. I did it for, you know, my whole musical background is based on teaching myself the things I want to know, discovering, you know, equipment also just constantly having my hands on the stuff. And I still do that. I'm just at a point now where I think that it's more productive to direct my attention and my ability to learn and my bandwidth to things that are going to give me longevity. You know, I want to do this for a really long time. So I think Brown hates us. He's gone. He just, he's like, this is enough. He's, he's over it. Fuck this conversation. You know, I think also on the topic of watching too many gear demos, I think a lot of people do that as uh, an excuse to not work on what's important. Like it's uh it's one of those things that tricks you into feeling productive. Uh, so I'm learning, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, should I get this amp or this amp and, you know, research all that shit instead of actually working on your picking or something that's it it happens it happens with mixers too like they'll argue about this this version of a compressor versus this clone endlessly instead of actually learning how to use it so i feel like uh all this stuff that we're talking about if you focus on yourself you focus on your brain health your physical health it hones your brain to a level to where when you are working on what you actually do in life you're going to be that much more focused and that much more able to take in the information you need to take in quickly and apply it quickly and not spend 22 hours a day on it, basically, I think. Absolutely. It's going to make the difference. I mean, this stuff is is huge for people and I mean, all facets of life, I think, you know, adapting to stress even and some of the things we're talking about plays such a positive role in your relationships. And quality relationships equal less stress. Less stress means a productive, happy brain. So curating your environment to make sure that you don't, you know, you don't roll with people that hold you down. We hear people talk about this all the time. Like, I definitely don't want this to, you know, digress into like some like, you know, motivational talk or whatever about how you need to like cut your aunt off because she, you know, is giving you like, you know self-esteem issues about xyz no you're gonna do what you're gonna do but recognize positive and negative energy put yourself where you want to be realize that you're your best self when you stress the least so create an environment for that and watch what happens to your brain and your hands where did this come from catalyst was cliche 
end of a relationship. Uh, that'll do I'll it. I'll show you. You know, that'll do it. I'm going to be the best version of myself. And um, I discovered, uh, here's a buzzword, keto. Uh, and it's horrendous. It works great for some people. But In the short term. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I implore you, do not do that to your metabolism. Don't do that. Works in the short term, but yeah. Yeah. You know, I achieved results. I wasn't a big guy or anything, you know, so I could have done it in a more, you know, in a healthier way. But, uh, you know, I want efficient, quick results now. So I saw a lot of guys experiencing, uh, you know, uh, benefits of that. Uh, but it did me more harm, and it actually exacerbated anxiety and depression in me, uh, which I don't actually believe I had much of before, or I wasn't in touch with myself enough to be aware of them, but I became aware. And as a result, I decided, okay, I need to turn this around, and I need to stick the landing. So I discovered... A balanced approach, a healthy, balanced, natural, thermogenic, you know, just easy approach to converting your lifestyle into something that's uh, conducive for your physical health, your mental health, your relationships. And it starts with food. Starts with food, then, you know, move the body and then give yourself the edge with the supplements and you know, adaptogens and things to really help get things in place. If you're going to do anything though, eat right, sleep right. That's enough. It really is. Everything else just gives you the edge. I mean, if you're not sleeping right, nothing else is going to go right, basically. No. I mean, you... Period. You aren't resolving, you know, all of the the things that happen mentally daily. Um, this is where, you know, literally feeling like a crazy person comes from. And I know what that's like from touring, not necessarily like North American touring when we're at a bus and we're dialed in, everything's like on schedule, but international touring <laughs> in September of 2018, we did 21 cities in 24 days. And we went from Singapore to Auckland, New Zealand, and uh, probably got four hours of sleep, maybe three hours of sleep a night for an entire month. And uh, it's the craziest and the most out of touch I've ever felt with myself. So just sleep alone. And I was, you know, and I was still making sure that, you know, my macros were close and calories were there, trying my best, Um, even trying to you know, get exercise in and everything, but there's a point of diminishing returns with that. So you have to just, you know, do what's right for you. And the answer is sleep. And if you aren't getting it, then there's just nothing you can do. I mean, so many processes don't happen. You literally cut any anabolic activity in the body in half or more. One night of sleep is enough to, you know, decrease like free and total testosterone to that of like uh, your grandpa who wants that you don't want that and we need that for everyone thinks about like oh you know for virality or being like a you know masculine or whatever no this stuff has neurotransmitter impacts on your brain like everything there's so many like hormone function is is crazy important and people overlook this through the way they eat, the way they rest, the way they deal with stress, the way they deal with emotions, huge impact on all this stuff, you know? So 
you got to take it seriously. You want to be a healthy person. You got to get to bed at a you know at the right time. Get that get that routine dialed, and find a way to eat that makes you happy, that nourishes your body, that doesn't have like a ton of you know expeller press seed oils and vegetable oils and garbage things that we would never eat you know and i'm not saying you got to be vegan or do some you don't got to do fad dieting nothing just eat how you want but eat clean just get it right i went through a massive lifestyle change about 18 months ago and i failed at it many times before that but the thing that that made all the difference in the world was fixing my sleep after that everything just kind of flowed from there huge well you get the diet dialed because you know blood sugar variability is impacted so much by sleep and you know what we break our fast with after a good night of sleep sets the day up you know for a quality day of eating you know your your cravings and your all these types of things are completely determined by how you rested and what you started the day's, you know, biological clock with, which is why, you know, if you eat crap first thing in the day, you crave crap later. You eat a nice balanced meal after a good sleep, you find, wow, it's dinner time and I'm only getting hungry now. And I still have all these calories, hmm, tuck into a giant meal, feel good about it, sleep good, eat like an animal, live like an animal, you know, that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. I agree completely. I love it. Yeah, this is probably the left turn that people didn't expect from this podcast, but uh, that's okay. I'm passionate about it, and it's made a huge difference in how my brain works, how my hand works. Hands, yeah, it would be pretty uh, challenging to do what I do with one hand. <laughs> but yeah, just everything, optimizing everything, you know. Uh, and we'll never be perfect. It's impossible, but can you strive for it? I mean, you can get yourself close. You could try. I mean, what is perfect, anyways? Exactly. You know, it's just what works for you. And if you're happy, she's happy, mom and dad are happy, or he's happy, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever works for you, just do that and be happy and cut stress out of the equation. That's the number one. So that said, first of all, I don't think it's a left turn because we can talk about whatever we want. Amazing. But we have some questions from our listeners. I know, I know that you've got a meeting coming up, so want to get to some of those. All good. Let's do it. From Ahmed Qureshi, I discovered your music a few years ago and was hooked immediately. I'm always baffled by how you're able to come up with an album's worth of long solo passages and catchy hooks. What's your process for writing all those solos? And also, which pair of bare knuckles have been your favorite to record and tour with? Hmm. Headspace is what determines how I'm able to like craft a line. And I know when I'm phoning it in. So I know when to, to lay back and uh, reapproach. Uh, in a fresh, you know, headspace where I feel excited and inclined to do so. That's when I create my best work. So developing a body of work and trying not to like mm, just go through the motions. Um, it's challenging, but just knowing when to like curate that headspace to know, yeah, now is like a transparent and open opportunity to like let my ideas flow. I'm not in the way of me. I feel good about it, what I'm trying to say. And then I'll roll with it from there. I know that's a little bit like, you know, it's not really like a cold, hard response. It's a little woo-woo, but... Is there a cold, hard response? 
No, there really isn't. I often find that every album has these like reoccurring motifs inadvertently, you know, and I try to actually just welcome those things and um, make room for them across multiple um, compositions and stuff. Because I feel like your subconscious does that for a reason. So why reject repetition or thematics or motifs if they're finding their way to the surface? I think it's about, you know, making room for those. So I try to um, develop congruency between ideas. And I think you'll see that with the new record as well. Um, Tying certain things together, alluding to certain melodies, maybe using certain phrases here and there to sort of try to, you know, shift your focus back to a previous idea or put some new attention on something. But they just happen, you know. There is a distinct difference in my mind between like composing the melodic lines and the hooks versus something that's like a guitar solo. So I reserve certain approaches and moves and stuff like that for those various headspaces. And Bare Knuckles, um, loving the silos. That's my shit right now. Um, that's Rebea's pickup. Uh, they're phenomenal. They're just balanced and articulate, but they're aggressive. They split the best, you know, positions two and four just rock. They're super balanced. They're not like phasey or weird or like clicky or abrasive. And they just work great in my guitars. Love them. So, okay, here's a question from Lewis Spear. I'm an intermediate level guitarist. How would you recommend that I go about approaching learning chord and scale theory and how to apply it. And are there any resources and books that helped you? Frank Gambale's Modes No More Mystery is the catalytic um, sort of piece of uh, content or material that helped me get my ducks in a row with that. I don't know why that one in particular. I'm not really sure. I mean, he's, yeah, first of all, he's phenomenal. Also, that could you got to see how to do with it. You got to see. You got to see the outfit in that video. Have you guys. seen the workout video? <laughs> that's that's it's from that. Oh era god! So with the, with the two dudes in like the background. Yep. Oh god! That everyone should watch it. It slaps. <laughs> but yeah, so that particular piece of of content and that approach, for some reason, really resonated with me. Um, he just explained it in a way that helped it click, and you know, I had. Um, numerous teachers prior to that and certain things were infiltrating my ability to analyze harmony and stuff but that switched me on so modes no more mystery frank gambali it's amazing and then of course just school of hard knocks really i have a you know what i would believe to be a solid fundamental understanding of diatonic harmony i wish my harmony was a little more expensive you know from time to time expensive i do yeah, you like that? Yeah, I'm going to use that. That's good. The Nashville guys like that. I've heard that about like mixes. Like this mix sounds expensive. Oh, it sounds expensive. But I've yeah. never heard no, of I like, like that theory. I love it when it's used to describe like a chord choice, like note choice or like, you know, like a given harmony moment or something like that. It's like, ooh, that was expensive. Like that gets me going. Oh, I'm pretty sure I heard it like, makes sense. Andy Wood or like Ben Eller say that before and i was just like yep that definitely embodies the vibe and uh you know i'll I'll put myself in in situations like that where i'll I'll build a non-linear chord progression or i'll throw a monkey wrench in the progression and then have to write my way around it using what i know about harmony and theory to deduce um, the correct approach but 
you know, intuition is king. So you got to have that first. But if you really want to get your head around like modes and understanding how to navigate scales, how to optimize your understanding of, you know, selecting chord tones and identifying, you know, various intervallic ideas and things like that. Modes, no more mystery. Frank and Bali. That'll change. uh, That'll change some shit for you. Thank you for coming on. Of course.